You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bill Kinkavich, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is New Mutants, Episode 2B, covering a period of New Mutants from 1984 to 1985. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your New Mutant host, Frank Martini. And Frank, what issues are we going to be talking about today? So we are going to look after the, the second part of that, uh, of that collection, starting with Annual 1 and then continuing with uh, Issue 22 to 31. So the rest of the Bill Sienkiewicz era. Yes, yeah. This, In the case you didn't hear the last episode, we are covering the Epic Collection, the New Mutants Epic Collection, Volume 2, The Demon Bear Saga. We did half of it last time. We're going to do the second half this time and there are a few continuing threads that we need to remember mainly regarding Danny Moonstar got quite a bit injured in the last storyline and so she's going through some recovery and there's an ongoing thread with Magneto we see him pop up in um, pretty much like every, a few of the issues at the, at the end there and then like almost every mm. issue in this book here mm, yeah and it's really it's really a time when as we were saying offline that reading new mutants really ties with reading uncanny x-men yeah and there are some plots and subplots that go from one book to another i would say that my recommendation would be to maybe read uh, x-men circa issue 185 to 200 that's roughly the same time than the this volume is taking place and it's interesting to to see how the books bounce from one to another yes uh, claremont really does use these kind of as one title just mm. you know published every other week or something like that and it, it, it's hard I, I didn't feel this in the last half of the book but this half i really felt like i needed to read those x-men issues but i wasn't reading those x-men issues as i was reading these so there were a lot of things where i'm like oh man i think i remember what's happening over in that title and i really should have mm. just pulled out marvel unlimited um i this era hasn't yet been covered in the epic collections mm-hmm. so i can't i can't just pull that off my shelf i don't have the omnis or anything like that but um yeah i felt at a disadvantage quite a few times not knowing what was going on in the other book which i think is not a great way to write your write your comics mm. yeah because i think that there are some really key moments like the the, the hideous subplots that we see uh, early in the in the next few issues that get you a heads up in Uncanny X-Men. The Magneto thing also leads to something that happened in Uncanny X-Men 200. And I I think there are some other things that may also impact New Mutants. Of course, we have Secret Wars 2, which is going to impact the whole of the Marvel Universe at the time in sometimes a very annoying way, I must say. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And... uh, 
Uh, yeah, so th that's uh, a moment when the, the, each book is not working on its own, really. And you need maybe to have a, a wider uh, understanding of the Marvel Universe to fully enjoy uh, what is happening in this book because of the yeah. cloak and dagger stuff mm -hmm. that uh, took place initially in uh, the Marvel team-up annual and the spectacular Spider-Man issues, plus also the Beauty and the Beast with Dazzler and the Beast uh, miniseries. Yep. So there's quite a lot of stuff that needs to be maybe not read, but that helps the experience compared to the beginning of this volume, absolutely. Yeah, and kind of uh, be compared to a lot of these epic collections, I mean, I know that the Marvel Universe is a shared universe and, and writers do like tying things together. And Claremont especially really likes continuity, but I felt like he was really going even deeper into continuity than he usually does. I mean, there were references, yeah, you mentioned references to a bunch of stuff already, but there's also like, the, there's a reference to the Firestar miniseries and mm -hmm. many issues of the X-Men and uh, yeah, I just was like, boy. So because of that, some of these issues I didn't enjoy as much as other ones. There's There are three main story arcs in this collection. And mm -hmm. one of them I really liked. And the two others I, were, I was not as keen on. Oh, that's funny because me too. And we will see if we have the same uh, <laughs> <laughs> hits and misses. I bet we do. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. we'll have to see that for sure. So we have a few comments that were left uh, since the last time we recorded and so i think they're definitely worth talking and mentioning here in this episode so uh, over on facebook tommy left a great comment he says about the demon bear saga epic the issues before sinkevich starts starts penciling feel like the series was running out of steam i think i made that exact same comment mm. when we were recording and after mm -hmm. he comes in the series gets some new energy the demon bear saga feel uh, feels like a horror movie same with the warlock issue the story arc with legion is also great I have, however, mixed feelings about the other story arcs with Cloak and Dagger and Dazzler in the arena. I think Tommy's reading our minds here as well. I'm pretty sure you yeah, feel the exactly. same way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without reading the Cloak and Dagger series by Bill Mantlow, you won't get the full story. Same with the Dazzler story arc. If you don't know what's happening on her series, you miss a lot of context. Wow, he's saying exactly what we were just saying. Yeah. On an ending note, too bad the end of the story arc with, I'm going to leave the spoiler right there with so-and-so, mm -hmm. drawn by, by Steve uh, Lealoha, was left to Epic th Volume 3, and who knows when that will be released. Maybe Marvel wants this volume to end when Bill Sienkiewicz exits. Um, overall, this is where the series matured a bit, and too bad some of the story arcs were weak, and he says he loved the, that Bob McCloud came back for the annual. Uh, I think it's interesting because... W you know, we, we had uh, about the ending note uh, and when the epic ends. Yep. I think in terms of the amount of stories, it makes sense to end there uh, because of the page count. Yeah. And the French, we have a French edition that covers the whole uh, Bill Sinkiewicz era. So we have uh, seven or eight extra issues afterwards where uh, Sinkiewicz is inking Sibler uh, Lower first and then Rick Leonardi, if I remember well, and maybe someone else. So it feels a bit more of a global package, even though the ending of the of issue 38 is a, uh, is an open ending. So it, it made me feel like reading more stuff, uh, which is not available in French yet. So they had to cut at, at one moment, and I think it may not be the worst moment, actually. Yeah, I didn't feel like that it was a 
a problem ending it because I felt like, um, I mean, I haven't read these next issues, but they say that they're going to go on a quest, basically, to find a certain person. And that feels like it's going to be a multi-part story. So yeah, saving it for the next volume, I think, is probably okay. I mean, I'll, maybe I'll have a different opinion once I read those issues. So on Instagram, we also have some comments here. Mark42Smith says, I absolutely loved this volume. The Demon Bear saga was great, but the real standout for me was the arc with Legion. Made me want to see more of Legion and very curious what other personalities he has. This volume was definitely better than the first one, which was good, but not great. Warlock is my favorite new mutant. And to me, the book gets much better after he and Magic join the team. Yeah, because it, it gets into a different territory when they arrive we get into some weirder stuff uh, yeah. as soon as they're here very I mean, true just just look at the difference of the look and feel of warlock in that uh, annual when you know he's pretending to be human yeah and drawn by bob mcleod and we when we see him doing the same thing during the bill sinkiewicz uh, issues i think it's the first issue when they arrive on the on muir island so it gets weirder immediately and the demonic aspect and the uh, demonic powers of Indiana makes the, the the whole thing edgier, I would say. So, yeah, makes sense. I wonder if Claremont and McLeod had a little bit of a difference of opinion on where they wanted the book to go. Um, because McLeod was very much part of the, the, the team that de developed the book and decided mm. on the characters and all this kind of stuff. Like, he was very much a co-creator. And mm. once he leaves the book, Claremont starts putting in these new, these new things. And I think the arrival of Bill Sienkiewicz definitely helps that along as well. Uh, so, like, yeah, let me see here. Once Bob McCloud leaves, then that's when magic comes in and and we start dealing with the demon world and everything like that. And then Yeah, there's a there's a transition with Salbusemat at first. But yeah, Bob McCloud is still around because he's inking part of those stories. Yeah, I don't and I don't know what the what the flow of continuity here is in terms of how they worked together once he was only inking and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, I have no idea. But yeah, Warlock is one of those characters that, you know, an incredible artist designs an incredibly complex character and then unfortunately every other artist who comes along has to try and mimic that and it's like holy mm. cow this is a very very difficult character <laughs> yeah and bill yeah, can do it doesn't yeah warlock doesn't look like anything we've seen before so nope. it's so yeah it's uh, it's very complex because it it has very much the the, the vibe of uh, of Bill Sienkiewicz, so it must have been a tough uh, tough thing to follow. Oh, absolutely, I think so, and we see that just in this annual when Bob McCloud is trying his best to do Warlock, and he does a pretty good job, but. Something that's born out of Bill Sienkiewicz's mind, like purely out of his mind, uh, is going to be hard to reproduce by other people. Mm. Okay, one more comment. Uh, this is from a user called The Watcher Collects Comics. He says, I never enjoyed New Mutants as a young teen, but always wondered, who is this book for? Very mature for a preteen, and always issues I had to read three or four times to understand. Um, it was about characters who just turned teens a few a few years before me, but it read very differently. The Bill Sienkiewicz covers were jarring for me back then as a kid but as an adult now i appreciate his stylistic avant-garde covers that definitely stood out from all the others i really enjoyed learning more about magic her teleportation discovering her sorcerer's powers and the soul sword i also really enjoyed sunspot as i saw him as being different emotionally charged even idealistic a frustrated troublemaker at times and a long way from his purchase of aim in the future um what i struggled with was warlock hated the character hated his dis his 
depiction and his speech bubbles were a pain in the backside. I just couldn't get into him and it almost had me quit book. It reads better now than back in the day when it was a tougher read. Yeah, it ends with what we said last week. I think that uh, if you read that stuff now as a grown-up, it's easier to read than if you did it in the 80s. And once again, I was 12 or 14 when I read that for the first time. Yep. And it was a very challenging read. And also, even today, I mean, it's not an, it was not an easy read for me. I mean, I, I, it took me... Sometimes I had to, to read some issues twice just to make sure I was not missing some of the pieces. And uh, uh, sometimes, because the art is very much the leading factor of the book, uh, and it feels like Claremont was adding some stuff on top of the art, yeah. you know, trying to, to, to fill in some of the details yep. that would have been left out. So the, 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 there's a lot of stuff to read. Well, Claremont was verbose anyway, so but, <laughs> uh, it feels that sometimes he has to over-explain what is happening on the page, and gives a lot of detail, uh, especially in the in the Legion issues. I think it's not uh, an easy, a very easy read. I think. No, I agree. I agree. I especially think that you're right on with uh, Claremont adding a lot of text to give the pictures context. And, I, and while Bill Sienkiewicz is a great storyteller, I found that his Moon Knight stuff read a little bit easier when his style wasn't as um, wild. You know, yeah, as an as an as wild. Yeah, exactly. I think that as the more and more stylish he gets just his concepts of storytelling are a little bit harder to follow um, I felt that way reading the Electra assassin miniseries as well some of that mm. is like what is going on here but you know there's still still enjoyable stuff for sure uh, and we'll get into <laughs> we'll get into a lot of uh, those specific details when we get into those issues as well Let's start off with the New Mutants Annual. Annual number one, Cosmic Cannonball Caper. Gotta love this cover. Straight out of the 80s. I love this so much. Mm. It's like, it's mm. first of all, it's a Star Wars parody. And then you add in the whole rock, like punk rock kind of aspect of it. It just, it's just wonderful. And Bill Sienkiewicz, the colors he uses, the the way he paints the style, it's it looks like a 1980s movie poster. I just think it's great. Oh, oh it could be uh, a band uh, album cover too. Yeah, totally. Yep. Could be something like that as well. So definitely an awesome cover. And then in the inside, yeah, Bob McLeod returns. Chris Claremont and Bob McLeod kind of get one last, I think this is the last time they're going to work on this title together. And McLeod and Palmer are both credited as inkers. And I, I could only pick maybe just like two or three pages of Palmer inking. So I think he just had to help out at the, in a few places. But McLeod does mm -hmm. most of this himself. And McLeod is also credited as the letterer so he actually did a lot of work on this book mm. uh, not only that is and it's like it's double size or is it a triple size issue i think it's a triple size issue uh oh um, no maybe just double size no double size yeah still that's good and for an annual and bob mcleod admits that he's not the fastest then he can take his time uh, to 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 make all of the pages look really good and it is a nice looking issue as good as the uh any of his earlier issues of new mutants uh, as far as the story is concerned uh, we meet a couple of new characters here or one new character mm -hmm. we meet Leela Chenny who is a rock star 
and uh, apparently all of the the new mutants are fans of her band and um, are really excited to go to her concert and they get wrapped up in this mystery because something is trying to attack Leela Cheney during her concert. Turns out, of course, because this is an X-Men book, she is a mutant herself and uh, she gets uh, romantically involved with Cannonball, which is always kind of amusing. Um, I found that this issue was, I think it was too long. Too long and not a lot happens, so it wasn't that interesting and I'm not exactly sure even um, you know what what the, what exactly the point was I mean we just have all of these people these creatures who are after Leela Cheney and the new mutants help defend her from that and in the end she just kind of goes away I mean it's one of these it's one of these annual stories that is just um, it's not meant to I don't think it was meant to tie into the larger picture except Leela Cheney comes back in in the pages mm. of new mutants a few issues later so <laughs> it's I don't know. It has no real consequence, I don't think. No, not really. And that's a really weird thing, uh, especially Lila Shani getting involved with Sam, because I really don't know how old uh, she is, but she looks quite older than him. Yeah. <laughs> honestly uh, even though in the future she would be seen as a very young person there's that, some really strange thing also at the beginning I think I know that you play music and I've done a bit of music by, myself as yep. well and that's not at all like a concert would take place or even the you know the rehearsal and and all that so it looks really much like uh, Clement doesn't know what how a concert is uh, is taking place honestly um <laughs> uh, and then there's the powers of, of Lila Shenny. I mean, she can teleport people from one side of the galaxy to another side of the galaxy. Like, <laughs> what is that, really? So there's quite a lot of things which are really strange uh, in this issue. And she has other powers as well, right? Yeah. There's a one point where she, like, creates some sort of light show or something like that, kind of like Dazzler, I guess, but it obstructs the mm. view of of the people so that Cannonball and this monster can't be seen. And there's other times when like she wraps them up in like a force field or something like that. It, and yeah, the, and the teleporting thing is like, it seems like she can only teleport to one specific place across the galaxy mm. where she lives in a Dyson sphere in on the other side of the galaxy. So it is kind of bizarre. Mm. And, and it felt really strange to see this issue in the middle of the Bill Sinkiewicz stuff. Yeah. It, it felt like there was a, a Silver Age story in the middle <laughs> of something very classic compared to what we were seeing. Yeah. So, yeah, it, maybe, well, it ties with the, with the Warlock, so obviously it fits there. But maybe if we had seen this issue before the Demon Bear saga, the experience would have been different. But you have just read the Demon Bear saga and then you get into the Cloak and Dagger stuff. Uh, and this feels out of place. Well, it feels like New Mutants when it started. Like it has, yeah. it has the feeling of old New Mutants before before it went through its transformation. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Warlock is here, so it has to be placed in this after the his first appearance. But it also has Danny. It has a scene with Danny recovering, like going through physical therapy with Stevie yeah. because of her injuries, yeah. and so it kind of has to be placed after Demon Bear as well. And then, um, then yeah, with everything with Leela because she comes in later on in the book we can't even place this at the end of the book as like a kind of a bonus feature it really does have to go right here in the middle <laughs> continuity wise mm. and i think i've spotted the the tom palmer pages i think page 31 of the of the annual yep oh totally 31 and 32 30, for sure those are tom palmer's work maybe up to 34 
could 35 could be as well yeah i think definitely um yeah you're right 31 and 32 are the standouts for sure mm. some of the faces don't look like they were touched by tom palmer but maybe mm. they were on page uh, sorry on page 33 and 34 but the way mm. that the beast's hair the creature's hair is inked and mm. like like cannonballs uh jet his um whatever you call it his his power mm. that's definitely a tom palmer thing but once we get to 36 that's back to bob mcleod for yeah, sure it's gone yeah for sure yep so it's just those few pages right in there that's it mm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, there are some cool effects that happen here, like using a yellow color hold mm. on, let's see, what pages are these? Page 19 and 21 and 22, when Leela Chenny mm. is, uh, or a warlock, when he, they're using their light powers. It's I like it when, when artists try to use the color holds because it just adds a little bit more texture to the, to the page. This is the days before computers, so it's a little bit, mm. they use it sparingly because it's a lot more work to do just those, those drawings that are outlined in the color that's not black yeah it's uh yeah and page 22 as well you get uh you get that vibe uh of yellow uh which tie also with the with the costumes with the new mutant costumes so it's uh it's really this there are quite a few moments when there's a, uh even later on with magma's powers uh, being displayed so th there's quite a lot of uh, of play with the with the yellow color here. yeah and we get to learn a little bit more about warlock through this issue as well especially the extent to which he can shapeshift and he turns himself into a mm. giant spaceship that carries everybody through space which we won't see at all through the rest of this book warlock is way more reserved in his abilities than he is in this book uh like he he's shapeshifting into a bunch of things in this one yeah. issue that he doesn't do when Bill Sienkiewicz is in charge of drawing him. Yeah, I mean, he turns into a, a spaceship and also into a cryogenic system. Right. Yeah. For for the new mutants throughout <laughs> the the. So yeah. Quite this amazing. is what we call a convenient powers. Yes, that's right. That's exactly it. <laughs> Yeah, I find that actually a bunch of new mutants have convenient powers, including Danny mm. and Magic. Like, they kind of pull mm. out whatever they need to whenever, <laughs> just to make the story move forward, especially Magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that what is really uh, what I really enjoyed is the, uh, the evolution of Sam's character because he's very insecure, and we would see that throughout the, the, the whole uh, rest of the, of the book. And this is the beginning of something of him being more assertive because of the story with uh, with Lila Shani and yeah. what how it would impact him uh, in the future in the in the way he, he dresses so it's the beginning of his evolution and, and his maturing and I think it was very well played because it's small uh, breadcrumbs that you have to pick along the way but for sure at the end of this epic Sam is not the same character than you saw at the beginning very true that's a good point I think that just the fact that this woman and perhaps because she's an older woman took mm. an interest in him that he just gained a whole lot of confidence and saw himself differently uh, yeah that's that's an interesting observation and I think that Lila Shinny was a sort of runaways Joan Jett Chrissy Hind kind yep. of character totally Did you feel like that yep yep yeah I think that both Claremont and especially 
Bill Sienkiewicz were very attuned to the uh, kind of the punk rock era of the 80s. You see that come out mm. so much through this through this last half of this book here, especially uh, the one Cindy Lauper character <laughs> that we'll meet mm. later on in the Legion story. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's keep on going over to New Mutants number 22. Okay, so this issue is the, the first issue of the four-parter involving Cook and Dagger, and it's called uh, The Shadow Within. So it starts with the New Mutants on practice sessions with the X-Men, which I thought was a very, very nice point and yes. a, a very nice way of thinking uh, that those kids don't always work with the Professor Xavier, but also can work with the X-Men. And that's very interesting. Well, it's a concept that's used uh, ever since, like uh, the idea mm. of the teachers having specific classes that they teach, uh, like mm. the, the X-Men. This is kind of the, the start of that, because up yeah. until this point, the you know the X-Men haven't had a younger class of mutants in order to teach. But nowadays we have, you know, there's that Wolverine and the X-Men mini mm. or ongoing series for a while where it focuses solely on Wolverine being a teacher. And this is yeah. it's, so it's cool to see the start of that here. Yeah, and Kitty was all, has always been part of that teaching team as well, even though she was very young. Uh, well, not as young, of course, now than she was then. But, but uh, yeah, having those guys being teachers and uh, helping the others, the youngers, on how to use their powers and how to make the most of it. Uh, that was very, very nice, I think. Yeah. And not only with their powers, because the rain, the scene between Kurt and Rain is also about accepting someone else's difference. And I think that the connection, and, and there is an ongoing plot with Rain about how she has issues accepting people who are very out of her uh, religion scope. Yeah, She's very much a, a religious person, and she has issues with those demonic powers and demonic look and feel. So Indiana and Nightcrawler here. Uh, so all scenes involving that are different from your average uh, bonding between characters. I really liked it. You can see the struggle. Uh, part of it is because she herself, and uh, we see this come up later in the book, she herself is constantly being called a demon by mm. the people, even by the people she looks up to and the people that, mm. that taught her her religion. She herself be believes that she has demon qualities um, that are, you know, are not, not acceptable or whatever. And so she has a hard time accepting that in others as well. And then once she becomes, I think, more confident in herself and realizes that she's okay, she's not a demon and she can start looking at other people that way too. Yeah, and the character has changed so much after the uh, execution agenda. If No, execution of song. Execution uh, of song, I, yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't remember which one. When she's in Genosha with, uh, with Havoc and then she joins X-Factor, uh, she's complete, a completely different character than who she is at that point. So the, we can see through the book the, the, the evolution that, she, that she's had. Oh, sorry, is that Extinction Agenda? Yeah, Extinction Agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the one with the New Mutants and the X-Men and X-Factor. That's the one, yeah. Mm. So we, we see also that Colossus and, and Sunspot are practicing together and uh, Sunspot's powers are getting crazy and injure. Uh, there is an injury for, for Peter there. So we're wondering what is happening there. And uh, Rain, following the, the encounter she had with, with Nightcrawler, goes to her room and starts writing a kind of fairy tale story. And at first glimpse, and when you see the cover and you look at that, and you see the first two pages of the of the fairy tale, you you feel like maybe you are 
uh, into the, the, the another chapter of Kitty's fairy tale, you know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the X-Men issue from one ish, 150 or something like that. Yeah. And it's a completely different uh, story that's happening there because it starts as your uh, Walt Disney environment and suddenly it becomes a, a, a horror story, which if you look at the cab, for instance, uh, it's sort of predates what you would see in Inferno, for right. instance. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so she goes to, she leaves the, 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 the character she writes, who's a, a better looking version of herself, goes to the city and encounter a couple of creatures that looks a lot, that look a lot like Cloak and Dagger. And she turns into a, into a wolf pain character into the, that story and attacks both characters and that's how the story ends with rain sleeping uh, hang, uh holding in her hand the the necklace that was on that we could see on the, on the dagger lookalike character uh, a few pages before and we don't really know what has been going on there uh, and it will be up to the next issue to find out what is going on but it feels like there's something wrong with clock and dagger and with the with rains and uh and Roberto's power there. So if you were reading this when it was brand new and didn't have the hindsight to already know that this is a Cloak and Dagger story, this is a very bizarre issue. Most of it mm. is taken up by the training session. You have a long interlude with uh, with the Hellfire Club and uh, mm. the coming of a new character, Celine, who's going to be introduced into the Hellfire Club. And then this weirdo dream that takes place, like the story actually only starts in the last three pages of this book very strange uh, I, I thought this was a very it's a it's a cool issue I really enjoy the the character development that happens and the and mm. the creativity behind that dream and I'll just make a note that the Walt Disney style here is specifically sleeping beauty mm. um, the the prince and uh, all of her her clothes and the animals they're all styled off off of the way that the, those characters are designed in that movie and then the cab the the taxi with the with the weird face that you pointed out earlier I think that that is a reference uh actually probably this is when did when did who framed roger rabbit come out it was in the 80s and i don't know if it would have been out by this point or not um it might have been but that definitely reminded me of the taxi cab from who framed roger rabbit (laughs) Mm, yeah true and uh yeah the change is incredible there yeah i mean it's really uh, and uh, i don't know how it is because i have a digital edition uh, as i said so i don't know how the page turning works oh you absolutely flip the page oh okay same thing in the french edition and it's i mean such a change such a visual change uh, the colors are completely different because yep. you, the last page with the prints and all that it ties with a lot of red yeah it's all the primary colors and yellow and and suddenly you're into this grayish bluish yeah muted area tones. which is yeah so completely different change of tone in just one page and suddenly you're not in a fairy tale you're in a horror movie great introduction to the story here and we get a couple more bonus pinup pages at the end of this issue one for wolf spain one for mirage mm. and one for magma um all really nice i like the way that he's yeah. he's done these yeah absolutely moving on to new mutants number 23 with cloak and dagger prominently featured on the cover which is which is kind of cool i do like this cover a lot mm. this issue is called shadow man and uh um in this issue we find out that there's way more going on with sunspot than we knew he's going absolutely bonkers and so they have to subdue him and and find out what's going on and meanwhile rain has also disappeared and 
wakes up in a hotel not knowing where she is. They find out that she has kind of, her powers are kind of going a little loony as well. So Danny and Cannonball are the two, kind of our two focus characters that kind of try and figure mm. out what's going on here. And this issue, again, even though it has Cloak and Dagger on the front, um, on the front cover, they don't come into play in, in this issue until like the very end when we see them um, in a hospital room. They're not even in their costumes. Mm. They don't have their powers anymore. And we don't know what's going on, but we can figure out they're connected to this somehow. And then the issue kind of ends as Sunspot goes a little nuts. So this is more more of a build-up issue as well. I think it's taking mm. a really long time for this story to unfold. And when you said this is the first of a four-part story, I'm like, oh yeah, it is four parts. Did it mm. really need to be four parts? <laughs> I don't mm. know. <laughs> no, and we will get to that in the next two issues. Yeah, I, I think there's a nice, there are nice moments when you when you look at each part of the issue. There are some really interesting, uh, and I like the. The Danny Sam dynamic. Yes. There's a w- very weird scene, I think, when Sam enters into Danny's room as she's changing clothes or getting dressed. Yeah, that's a Chris Claremont thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he really loves weird. doing that. Uh, and well, there's one thing on this page also that one thing that I loved throughout the Bill Sinkiewicz run is the way he uses uh, Charles Xavier's head as a background for his panel. Yeah. When he's talking telepathically with people, we would see that three or more times afterwards. And I think it's brilliant because it's completely different from what we saw in the past to, to present the way his power uh, connect with people. People. Exactly. It's not just like a floating head, a floating disembodied mm. head that's in the top corner or something like that. Yeah, he, he does a really, really good job of portraying his astral form and how he communicates telepathically. Very cool stuff. Um, I also really love what he does with Roberto. Mm. And uh, when, when Sunspot is going pretty crazy here, it has shades of the demon bear, kind of like just a big, mm. big blobby black mass with a scary yeah. face. You just see the teeth and kind of spiral eyes kind of looking a little um, just looking angry and well crazy basically uh, I, I love it I think that it adds so much to to take away the definition of a character and leave it mysterious just being filled as a black almost a black silhouette mm. adds a lot of mystery and a lot of kind of scariness to the character yeah I, I think it predates also the appearance of Venom and the way some of the uses of the blacks would be done oh yeah with Venom and the way it would be displayed on the most visually appealing displays of Venom's power and costume. And I, I and I felt there was a nice connection with that. Yeah. Um, in terms of the story, I have to say that I'm a big Cloak and Dagger fan. Yeah. So I really enjoy them uh, and having them uh, here. And if you haven't read at least... The, the the annual which is on the epic one there is no way you can really understand what is going on i agree it's yeah they, they don't really explain anything and even later on they don't even uh yeah i, I it's just hard to mention once that, that there was a drug that was given that the same drug that was given to clock and dagger was given to to sunspot and uh and wolfbane but you don't know really what had happened uh uh, in the annual, and uh, I think it's it makes sense to read it because if you read the the cloak and dagger collections, you would see that uh, they reprint the, the this this story with uh, with the new mutants. Uh, you get the annual as well, and you get the spectacular Spider-Man, of course. And it works a bit more organically if you read it that way. And now it feels like a bit out of the blue. And even though the way and why suddenly 
uh, the, the drug kicks in, which would be uh, further explained uh, on the next issues. But we don't really know why it's happening now and why it didn't happen before. What's the, the suddenly, why, why is it uh, so sudden? So I pulled the Cloak and Dagger collection off of my shelf uh, mm. to have a look to see uh, in here. And there, there are a lot of issues in between the, including one of their miniseries, in between the, yeah, the New Mutants one. annual and this, and this story here. But there's no sense of their powers waning or disappearing or, or anything like that. It's all of a sudden you get to these New Mutants issues and their powers are just gone mm. whereas we've had at least a little bit of build-up in these issues where um you know roberto and and rain have been acting a little bit out of character we saw that in a few issues in the first half of this book so there was a little bit of build-up but for the cloak and dagger on the cloak and dagger side of things and this is probably because they just didn't have their own regular series uh it's mm. just kind of out of the blue yeah yeah the the, the regular series happen after that yeah. uh well it's not really a regular series because they were split split book uh, if i remember well but uh Right. maybe wrong here. No, you're right with Doctor Strange. But I mean, it still was no. a regular book for them. They yeah. had the regular feature that happened every month. But that wasn't until mm. quite a bit after this. Yeah, because they were very much Beyond Man's Close uh, creature yeah. uh, by then. Uh, because he created them in Spectacular Spider-Man. That is the best, what I think is the best moment of his run on Spectacular. So around... Uh, issue 65 to 80, they appear quite a lot. They get very much involved into the uh, the crime scene because there is a, quite a lot of crime background into the into that time with the P- Punisher and uh, Silvermane uh, being as important character then in um, in, uh, in spectacular. Uh, and Bill Mantlo then did the miniseries and the, the, the regular series as well. Oh, and we have a Warlock's character profile at the end. Oh, yes, that's, that's the, right. The final page of this uh, story. Great picture. So we continue with issue 24 called The Hollow Heart, which is an issue where people talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> yes. I must say. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so the setup is that uh, Rain and Roberto have cloak and dagger's powers or some sort of powers, and they follow and they get to... Uh, Cloak and Dagger's safe place, which is St. Anne's Church, where Father Bowen, who's uh, Dagger's uncle, uh, is a priest there. Finally, Professor Xavier finds out about the drug uh, story that happened in the annual. So there's a one-page recap uh, that gives you what you need to know about the annual, but in a very condensed way. And then finally, towards the end, the whole team gathers in the church and Ileana tries to uh, gets Roberto and uh, and Rain and takes them to to limbo to try and perform a, 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 an exorcism on them and she fails uh, and as she returns inside the church, uh, Clock and Dagger, well uh, Tandy and Tyron uh, arrive on the scene. There's a lot of talking there. There's not so much happening and a lot of talking and a lot of back and forth between characters. That's my main concern about this story, really. Yeah, you're right. There, And I think that Chris Claremont is trying to develop Cloak and Dagger a bit too much or see what's going on in their minds. They're not the feature characters, yet a lot of this dialogue, a lot of the time is spent mm. on, on them. Mm. And I don't know if it's because we need to understand Cloak better, especially Cloak, because yeah. what's happening 
happening to to Roberto? Uh, like he just he doesn't know how to handle the power, and but mm. Cloak knows how to handle the power. The power that eats away at you. The power that 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 really consumes you. And and now Tyrone doesn't know what to do without the power. Now that he doesn't have it, he's kind of wrestling through those feelings. And I mean, all of that's going to come to a head in the next issue as they um as they kind of put everything back in order. But yeah, to see to see so much time devoted to them when like they just kind of appeared out of the blue and uh, I don't know it, it just seemed like a bit much for sure yeah and uh, I think there's quite a lot of filler in there because for instance the two and a half pages with the the, the Colossus sequence yeah of course it's it's great looking yeah but it doesn't bring much on the table also, I feel that getting Rogue into the story, because she's part of the team for this issue, it's very serviceable because she's there, because she's going to play a role in the conclusion of the story. <laughs> yeah, but I know. I noticed that there's, too. There's no reason why she should be here. Yeah, and like she appears and has like one line and then just disappears mm. or something like that. And yeah. yeah, I is like, why is she here? And yeah, she does have a very specific person. And it's the whole Chekhov's gun. You don't introduce some, something unless it's going to pay off later. So of course she has to have a role. Claremont's very particular in all of these story arcs about which members of the team he's putting in, mm. the, in each of these stories story arcs because none of these story arcs feature the entire team yeah that's why um, my, my, my main uh, thing against uh, those issues it's that we, we we don't see the team we 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 never see the complete team and sometimes the team is not even the main character of its of its book yeah I think, and also the, and this is something that Claremont has done with the X-Men as well. Like he'll, he'll just mm. focus on a couple characters, but those are all way more developed characters by the time he started doing that. Like when he started with the X-Men, with giant size X-Men, uh, there were only, you know, six members of the team. And so you can mm. have them in every issue, but then he kept, keeps adding more and more characters and new mm. mutants since the beginning of the team. I know we've lost karma, but mm. we gained magma we gained magic we've gained douglas we've gained mm. warlock it's like we gained a whole lot of characters all of a sudden and so now his team is too big to fit into into one storyline it seems so he has to mm. pick apart his team and choose which characters he wants to use kind of too bad yeah a couple of things yep. uh, we have a nice cameo of uh Peter Sellers, Inspector Clouseau. Oh, was it on the on the previous issue in the in the hospital? No, it was on the previous issue. I forgot to mention that. Uh, I don't know if you spotted that. Yeah, it's on um, in this collection. It's on page three hundred five. Yeah, I, I thought it was just funny for the sake of it, but uh, uh, sorry, I, I I missed it when we were talking That's about right. that. That's right. Uh, so and we, yeah, I think it's it, it's it's having fun for the sake of it, and I oh, yeah. quite enjoy that. Totally. And we continue to have the 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 subplot between with uh, Magneto and Lee Forrester, and we still don't really understand why it's happening there, and not in the pages of X Men, but it's like really, really like a soap opera kind of thing, uh, you know, will they, one day kind of thing. Uh, yeah. that would come to a head later on. But it feels very strange, I think. It does, and it will continue to feel very strange 
through the rest of this book and maybe even into the third book. I mean, I know because I know the future of this character. I I know why they're doing it. They're doing it to show because they need to get Magneto into a place that readers will understand and accept when he eventually, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, um, has a closer tie with the New Mutants. Mm. So yeah. where these, these stories are, these little interludes are specifically to let us know that Magneto is not person that we thought he was. He's becoming a reformed character and this this scene in particular where he actually admits that he's wrong and apologizes for something is a mm. is a, an important moment for his character yeah because uh i think it it really started uh, with his uh, the last fight he had with the x-men in x-men 150 yeah and then we have secret wars the first secret wars miniseries when we see that he's not really a villain right he's really placed on the hero he's, team yeah he's somewhere in between and uh, I, I think it, it's the continuation of what we what we saw there. Yeah, obviously it, it's character building, but it feels out of place in that book because it will not have an impact on the book for uh, seven or eight issues further, or maybe ten issues further. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the only reason why we can accept it now is we know what's going to happen to his character mm. in the future. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's keep on going to our conclusion of this story. New Mutants number twenty-five: The Only Thing to Fear. This, if we thought, if you thought there were a lot of there was a lot of talking in the last issue. <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to be in for a shock here. I just, I couldn't believe the amount of dialogue. And basically this whole issue is just like sitting in a room talking to each other and you, you eavesdrop on d different people's conversations. And there's only a brief moment when they break from that in order to like restore the powers and go into limbo in order to, you know, set things right again. But mm. holy cow, this, uh, there was just a lot going on in terms of character, like trying to do a bunch of character development development. Now, my favorite mm. part in the issue is actually one of the really dialogue-heavy moments where where Xavier is talking to Tyrone. And one mm. of the reasons yeah. I like that is because uh, the thing you mentioned earlier of the way that he portrays Xavier talking to someone in, mm. in his astral form or in his mind. I, yeah. like, And I think a lot of this is because of the colorist as well, you know, coloring the yeah. background just as yeah. a background instead of, you know, coloring him in blue like he's a ghost or something like that. He's just sitting mm. there in a chair um, and I love it. I love the way that they portray that. But the dialogue is also really good too. And here's where we find out why we're spending so much time focused on Tyrone, because through this conversation, we find out that Tyrone, he is able to control his power because, because, ah, man, I don't even know how to, how to explain it here. <laughs> it's the mm. fear. The Tyrone was afraid of using it. And so it kind of kept him from, from letting it control him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. It ties with his, with his insecurity, yeah. I think. Whereas Roberto being much more of an egocentric person mm. allowed it, whether it was some conscious or not, allowed it to gain a much more control over him and then he became uncontrollable himself. So it's kind of a backwards way of thinking. You would think that people who are more confident in themselves could control things more, but it's the reverse. Mm. I, I really enjoyed that, that, that conversation and I really uh, liked also the way the page with the only the six panel page uh, with Tyrone on one side and Professor X on the other side. Yeah. And the coloring in the background changes from black to orange. Yes, like he's having a revelation. Yeah, yeah. Because in the previous page, uh, Tyrone was also on a on a dark background and suddenly is opening to the the idea of becoming uh, cloak again and accepting uh, himself. And we also understand that. 
part of his uh, stuttering uh, tied with his insecurity and so on. So there's a lot of character building there, yes. Yeah. And that's one of the things I enjoyed most. But once again, I really like Cloak and Dagger. Uh, but there is not so much happening in terms of new mutants themselves. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, I just don't understand what's going on here. And the reason for bringing Rogue into the picture is because Rogue, because she can absorb people's powers, she mm. takes the the light from Rain and... Uh, um, yeah, and, uh, and also the dark, she takes the light and channels dark, the darkness thanks to the light, yeah, I think. It, it's... um. <laughs> No, it's convenient. I know it's very convenient. <laughs> I and I don't even think like Rogue is still a fairly new character at this point, so she her powers aren't as defined as well. But that's not really something mm. that I associate with Rogue being able to do. Mm. No, not really. So I think it's kind of something they just made up at the time. Mm. <laughs> but really, couldn't Danny or somebody have done the same thing? I think that in, with Danny and Professor mm. working together, they could have channeled that, like because da Danny has some psi powers herself, and um, I feel yeah. like they could have just used her. It's just that the the way they they manage uh, the, the 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 characters' powers, it's they don't exist on their own. They need someone to. Uh, to, there is a transfer you know it's not like venom for instance which can exist on its own right so there, there needs to be uh, a conduit something channeling yeah yeah absolutely yeah but i mean i still think that danny could have been that person kept it in mm, with indiana in the team possibly mm. yeah and this is when we talk about uh indiana's powers once again because the fact that they go to limbo and they come back uh, we will see later on during the 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 gladiator moment uh, story, then the way that they, when she teleports, there is a time uh, aspect. Right, the time jump. Changing, yeah, the time jump. Sometimes it's it's helpful, so it it takes place. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, inconsistent. That's, uh, or just yeah, is it very... unpredictable? You could just call that unpredictable, and it, it seems <laughs> yeah. to work. But yeah, it's okay, for, yeah. for the sake of the story. Your no prize is on the way. Yeah, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Nice to finally see Cloak and Dagger in their costumes, kind of back mm. to their old form at the very end, and doing what they do. I mean, there there was kind of this little subplot about this guy named Slick who was trying to recruit kids to get them hooked on drugs and stuff. And true enough, that's a cl classic Cloak and Dagger story, and they kind of save the day in the last two pages of this mm. story as well. So it's like we get a kind of a full a full fledged Cloak and Dagger story <laughs> in this issue. And does uh, uh, I really feel we could have seen some Bill Sinkiewicz on Cloak and Dagger because that's a, this could have been something very interesting, visually speaking. No kidding. With with his huge cloak, I can just yeah. imagine Bill Sinkiewicz having a great time with that and the light aspect. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. Um, I have a major issue with the, with the character profiles. Uh, and I don't understand how, editorially speaking, you could spoil the next story arc in one page. Yeah, that's so weird, hey? Um... Why would they, did they choose to profile David Haller and explain who he is right off the bat? And blatantly huge spoiler, huge spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah, I, I don't understand that either. It, it made it so that we, uh, like we knew the whole time reading this story and they dance around the secret for so long within this, these next few issues mm -hmm. that, uh, exactly. yeah, I don't know if that was just an oversight or, or if this pinup was supposed to be a couple issues later or something but bad yeah. mistake I, yeah 
for, for sure it's an editorial mess uh, on, on this part. The second one, though, is, is much more interesting on, on Lila Shini. And uh, th there is a part of me who wishes to, to understand a bit more about her uh, being a slave and so on. Something which is hinted uh, each time she appears. Obviously, she has a very tough past tied to her powers and tied to who she is. And it really makes me feel like I want to know more about her. Right. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure we will. Yeah. Okay. So the start of the next story arc, New Mutants number 26. Uh, this issue this issue is called Legion. The, the story starts with uh, on Muir Island. with uh, And we, we f find out more about Tom Corsi and Sh uh, Sharon Friedlander, who are the, the, the two persons. Uh, who were abducted during the Demon Bear saga and came back as Native Americans. And we find out that they have, especially Tom has developed some kind of superpower and has got extra strengths. And uh, as he's training, practicing, uh, there is something happening on the, on the room of a patient of Muir Island called David. And uh, well, the, the, the whole room uh, seems to, to explode and the, the, the lab seems to explode. And we also find out that there is a possible split personality uh, situation there. So uh, very quickly, the new mutants, well, a part of the, the, the of the team arrives on the on the scene. So does uh, the the kid's mother. So it's Gabrielle Haller, who was last seen on Uncanny X Men 161. So it's the issue that really set up the, 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 the Xavier's and uh, Magneto's past uh, during World War II. Uh, so it really established also a new ground and a new shades of grey for Magneto. So it's interesting to see that there's a connection with, with that. So as they arrive, there are some really nice character bonding moments, especially uh, Moira and, and Rain. And then Charles Xavier tries to enter David's mind uh, but he gets uh, rejected, uh, and eventually Rain and Mora are attacked by an extra uh, projection of uh, a young, uh, young Arabic person. And there's another explosion at the, at the end of the issue. There's a lot of setup there. A lot of setup. Quite a lot. Yeah. One thing I was confused about was the appearance of Banshee at the beginning of this issue. Now, in the last mm -hmm. storyline, we specifically said Rogue was in this story because she's used for a very specific reason in the last issue of the story arc. But mm. that's not the case for Banshee here. He's just here and we don't see him ever again. Not He doesn't yeah. appear at all throughout the rest of this story arc, even though it takes place on Muir Island. So, like, what's the point? I don't understand. I yeah. think maybe we have to read x-men to find out why he's why he's, why he's here there's a little footnote that says see see x-men 193 yeah uh, i can't remember yeah because it's the time when he's uh, lost his powers a long time ago and he was hanging out i think in the uh, obviously was romantically involved with uh, with moira uh, yeah. But uh, I haven't read X-Men uh, 193 for a while, so uh, I don't remember really. We also meet Jamie Madrox, mm. multiple man. He's working here and uh, keeping track. All of his, his, you know, his duplicates are helping out around the, the lab, making sure that everybody mm. is being taken care of. So that's kind of cool to see a little cameo from him or from yeah. them. Mm. There's so many plot lines that are just going on behind the scenes. So there's, there's an, another uh, Lee Forrester Magneto scene where... 
Lee wakes Magneto up from a dream that he's having and his bed is floating and um, he says that she saved his life in this instance. And I want to point out this scene in particular because the next scene is so different than one in the next issue. So keep this one in mind uh, mm. as we because I'll bring up the next one. There's also a subplot revolving around White Queen and one of her Hellions named Empath. Again, right out of the blue, this little thing is not going to pay off in the in this book at all. So it's like, why are we? Why do we get this this interlude? I have no idea. Uh, yeah, it changed with the X Men. Uh, story with the with the Hillian. So yeah, it's 193, and it's uh, a, a, it's a double size issue, the big fight with the X Men and the Hillians. I think there's also the the what we didn't mention before is the the Celine and uh, uh, Roberto's father joining the the Empire Club. Also, is a subplot that goes into partly into X Men and uh, the. Yeah. Roberto's father thing, I don't remember. I, I really don't remember how it evolves uh, later on. So there's, once again, lots of breadcrumbs uh, that you need to pick. I think that Empath plays a large role in in the, the Firestar miniseries and his attitude and manipulative personality uh, plays a big part in, uh, in Firestar as well. And he will be back throughout the, the New Mutant series. Yes, and so this is where yeah we mentioned the Firestar miniseries is referenced. That's this is the scene where it references that, and I really felt like I had no idea what was going on between these two because I hadn't read that miniseries, and I don't know what's going on here. So okay, so it doesn't even so this scene doesn't even have any bearing on New Mutants at all. It, it no, it's the stuff before it was in the Firestar miniseries, and the stuff after it is in X Men one ninety three. So why on earth is it here in this issue? Yeah, very weird, very strange. Come on, Claremont. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned earlier that uh, the way that Warlock is portrayed when he takes on human mm. form on Muir Island here is very different from what we saw in the annual. And here it's here you can see on page 376 of this collection here that he has I think he has a he has a hard time making himself mm. stay uh, in a human looking form. He's much easier. Of course, it's much easier for him to just stay in his techno organic form. So it's mm. like he sort of looks human, but he still has a lot of this the Warlock <laughs> stuff kind of coming out of them and such yeah it's a it's a good portrayal i like that yeah and uh, and the way that bird thing plays th there's not so much being done by by warlock in this issue but everything he does is really weird yeah uh, but in a very good way like when he talks to the blackbird yeah uh or the the bird thing that takes place almost between the panels it's just in the background and uh very interesting, uh, especially with the, the thing Danny's touching uh, Warlock and fearing of turning into something techno-organic as well. Right. When we know how later on Warlock and Doug will be very much uh, a duet. Uh, so it's very interesting to see that taking place uh, along the way. Yeah, shades of things to come for sure. Mm. There is a lot of visually interesting stuff in this in this issue and in all of these issues in fact because so much, much of it's going to mm. take place in the Mindscape. But uh, I really like on page 372, uh, there is uh, this is the page with the multiple man cameo. Mm -hmm. There's just a great scene of a house with a, like a sunset behind it and he uses mm -hmm. different types of screen tones to, to create the just the depth of the image create the clouds yeah. and create the grass i really like the, the use of that it's kind of cool um and it just that kind of thing takes time and to just stick it right in the middle of the of that page there is an interesting choice it, it could have been some nice watercolor stuff 
you know, if someone like David Mack had done something like that. I think that using the screen tones kind of fits with the, mm. just the, the dirty punk rock kind of look that mm. Bill Sienkiewicz is going for. I think it fits. Um, I also really like on page 378, this is the page where we get the first big picture of, of David, mm-hmm. uh, just he's laughing. And then right behind mm. his head, Xavier is being thrown out of the astral plane and he's hurtling back into his body on, on the other side of the panel. I really like the, mm. just that progression and how it's conveyed of him being being literally kind of snapped back into his body. And on the, the previous page, it's interesting to see how he gets into the the, the, the astral pain as well. Right, yeah, like he's trying to break through a piece of plastic or something. Mm, mm, mm. Very interesting. And I think that the, 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 this visual aspect of him getting out of the astral pain and getting into his body is very much what was done in the Doctor Strange and in the recent Spider-Man movie when the, 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 the body and the, and the soul or the personalized uh, is taken out of the body. Right. Yeah. I, I really think it ties with that. So it's very interesting. We, we get some we get some bonus uh, features there and bonus pages with the X Men archives that reprinted uh, those issues. Those are actually the first time I managed to to, to get those. Uh, Bill Sienkiewicz stuff, uh, and it was one of the things that was very much done in the in the late 80s, early 90s, having some of the classic stories being reprinted in the in those prestige format series. Uh, so it was a and the that was the first miniseries, and the next one was Captain Britain, and that's how I got all the the classic Captain Britain by. Uh, uh, Alan Moore and uh, Alan Davis, for instance. So it was a very nice series. Too bad it ended uh, after that. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's this is the days before graphic novels. So mm. making a limited series with reprints was uh, you know something that Marvel has kind of done all throughout their history, but uh, yeah, still doing it in the 90s. It wasn't long after this that collected editions would become a thing and you'd never see reprint series like this ever again. Yeah. Okay, New Mutants number 27, Into the Abyss. Uh, this issue takes place inside David's mind. Xavier believes that he needs to go inside David's mind to figure out what's going on. And so he and Danny go together and it's just a wild ride as they go through all of these different places and meet a whole bunch of different creatures, different people, and uh, two people in particular that they meet. One is Jack Wayne, Jack Wayne, which is a John Wayne type mm. of a character. Mm. And another one called Cindy, who is definitely um, an analog to Cindy Lauper, the 80s mm. singer. Or mm. 80s musician, and they're searching for who they call the Arab, who is uh, seems to be causing problems and running amok inside David's mind. And this is the first chance that we really get to see the extent to which David is is um, mentally unstable. Uh, mm-hmm. He has multiple personalities inside of his head, and these are personalities that I think he obviously he because they're based on actual real people. He's probably influenced by the things he sees on TV or the music that he mm. hears and such like that. So he's created these personalities based on that, and they live inside his head. And collectively, they call themselves Legion, which is why, where he gets his name. And that's a, a reference to the old biblical story mm. where Jesus runs into uh, a, a demon who's possessed a group of pigs. And the demon says, we are many, so call us Legion, which is exactly what the voices mm. inside Legion's head are saying here as well there are some uh, very interesting things about those many personalities because once again it's uh, leaps and bound more mature than whatever we can see uh, elsewhere 
um, and also it ties because I think it's 83 or 84 and it explains that David is the sole survivor of terrorist attack that took place in Paris ah, and that's yeah. the reason why that's the reason why we see this strange uh, visual of, uh, of a mix uh, the two page uh, with a mix of the Paris and Beirut at the same time right and it and it really ties with what was happening back then because there was a there were a lot of uh, terrorist attacks in Paris in the early 80s uh, against the the Jewish community. Oh, okay. So it ties it ties with existing stuff and obviously at the time Lebanon was a very uh, hot place. There was a war going on. There was a civil war going on. So it completely ties with that political landscape. So once again, it's something which is completely. Uh, different with whatever you can see in a superhero book. Wow, yeah. So, I'm, I mean, you being French, of course, would know this history yeah. much more than I would. I was not aware of those current events. That's very cool that, that they tie it in to, to what's going on there. Um, mm. the, the one splash page, the huge splash page where we see kind of that combination of mm. Fran France and Beirut and the, the big black dome mm. uh, is, is wonderful. Again, he uses a couple of different screen tones to create the mm. clouds in the sky and, and the different textures on the buildings and such and it's just a it's a really nice piece very limited in its color palette as well it only uses three colors the mm. the eiffel tower is, is a light blue the ground and the foreground is a light yellow and the sunset in the background is a light magenta oh, and i guess there's a little bit of green under the eiffel tower as well but uh but yeah. yeah it's nice yeah yeah and uh, by the way that's the arc de triomphe Right. Uh, on the right. Yep. So, and that's not at all Paris landscape. <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge difference between the, uh, the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah. But, you know, got to cram in yeah. as many recognizable landmarks as you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the cool coloring and the z use of screen tones continues through the next couple of pages, and it really gives it a visual look. In fact, if you go through this entire issue, uh, each time the scene changes and they go to a different part of, of David's mind, Bill Sienkiewicz uses a very, very different visual style. So if you go back to the beginning when they first enter on page 391, we're, we're met with of solid red brick wall mm, and mm, mm. um and we have only two colors all of the people are are colored in white with some blue highlights and you mm -hmm, get the mm -hmm. the yellow of their of their energy beams playing off against the red on the wall and as soon as they move into a different area they're traveling through it's now everything's blue and then mm. we enter this area here where we get the muted colors the muted color palettes with a lot of the screen tone which he wasn't using at all through the first part mm -hmm. of this issue to give it a very different look and um and that continues all the way to the end well, and through the next issue i guess as well but uh we'll yeah. see him we'll see another visual change a little bit later so i i just love it he's still being experimental he's still trying new things and i don't mm. know how much he's talking to the colorist but i have to imagine that he's like he's like okay this is what i have in mind for this please don't use regular colors don't use skin tones just color everybody in yellow <laughs> like it's very very striking i love it yeah maybe also the the inking helped that because obviously uh, there are more shades so maybe also it was a, a leading indication of right. uh, what type of vibe he was uh, he was looking for but yeah and it may involve some 
very interesting communication between the, the, the artist and the colorist. This big black dome is so 1980s. And I feel mm. it's like yeah, you think about end of the world type movies that came around there. And I don't know how many of you, them used a dome, but it's a pretty prevalent kind of visual image. It just so fits in with, with this era yeah. perfectly. Mm. Um, I just have to say that I have a, a complaint about this issue and the next one. It's okay. really that I don't really feel like the new mutants are they are side characters in their own book here. It's true, yeah. This is an Xavier story. Mm, yeah. So it has to take place somewhere. There is very little that well they, they, they don't serve any purpose in the or not so much purpose in the story. That's my main complaint about it. But uh, it doesn't make it um, a bad story for sure. But uh, just strange. And another thing which I thought was really weird is what is going on with Charles Xavier's eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, they're because, they're pretty big. Yeah, they're that wild. They have a life on their own. You mean? <laughs> yes, they're they're bushy. They remind me of um, Eugene Levy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we don't get any subplots in this story at all. You know, we don't no, get any no. Magneto, Lee Forrester. We don't get any Celine or Emma Frost. It's just they take a break from all of that for this one issue. Mm. But we'll see them again in the next one. Yeah, and uh, I don't think we get no, we don't get extra page at the end. So it was really uh, uh, we don't get any bonus feature like character profile or something. Yeah, that's true. So issue twenty-eight called uh, Soul War. After a couple of pages, the whole team of New Mutants, Professor X, and two out of uh, three or four uh, personalities of David get to the, to, together in order to attack the, the, the young uh, Arabic character. And after a long trip and climbing and a lot of back and forth and a lot of Talking scenes, uh, it, it really feels like it's very, uh, well, of course, it's a psychological issue. Um, there are quite a lot of exchanges between all the different uh, side of, sides of, of David, and they eventually get together in the end and manage to find uh, a solution to get together and work together inside David's mind, which I think is absolutely not the ending i was expecting yeah um so it's uh, you know when you, you're dealing with this kind of stuff you feel like you're going to get rid of one or two of the personality or all of them and pull things put things back in place but that's absolutely not what is happening there um and this uh, penultimate page where uh, we see david being cured between brackets uh, and having all the three person, the four personalities speaking to Charles Xavier and living together inside one mind, one mind implied that there would be trouble along the way yeah. uh, in the future. But for now, they have found found a, a situation where they can be together in one's person minds, which is really not the ending I was expecting, and uh, and everything builds uh, toward that in that issue. Uh, in the exchanges between the different personalities. And, and that's what I loved really with, uh, with this issue. I think that this was, uh, I, I really, really like this issue. I, I've liked this whole story. I think the, this, the concept of exploring the way, um, what do they call it now? They don't call it um, split personality anymore. It's like a dissociated, dissociated. Mm. Di I can't remember what the actual title of the disorder is now, but uh, just mm. to take a look at what is going on inside 
inside a mind like this, the the battle, the battle of personalities and the unsureness of of who's in control or what you know how they 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 play off of each other. I think it's a it's a very interesting way to look at at this and the idea, the concept of all of these memories being shards of glass floating around. Mm. That oh, yeah. uh, I I think that's brilliant as well because you can just mm. picture mm. like someone whose mind isn't collected um, and everything's not in an order or anything. It's it's just chaos. It's wild and. You try to get in there to remember something and your memories are shards of glass so they're flying at you and hurting you it's like then you, you have no no reason to go in there and and remember things or try to put things back in order or anything like that and it's like just mm. such an interesting analogy to to that whole that whole thing the, the whole way of thinking i think is neat uh, i think also when you look at those three or four pages when the team enter into the the the, the black dome it's also, it's almost modern art. It's abstract art. It's yeah. no longer what you see on a, on a regular comic book. And it's something completely, uh, it's unknown territory for me. And once again, something something that we won't see yeah. again on 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 a, on a regular classic comic book until obviously with Bill Sienkiewicz in with Electra Assassin and stuff like that, or when someone like David Mack with his watercolor work do something which is completely different visually than what we we we, we could have seen in regular comic books. So. We, we, we almost tie with the abstract art, in my opinion, there. Totally. Okay, so in the last issue, I mentioned that uh, every time they go into a different scene, we get a visual change. And so this one, once mm. they go into the Black Dome, of course, you mentioned the modern art. That's the first obvious mm. change. But as they go through these memories, all of these panels, or most of them, are not, um, you know, 90-degree right-angle mm. uh, panels. Whereas when you when we were going through Broken Paris, all of those panels, it was a very kind of a regular, rigid, uh, regular rectangle and square boxes. Mm. There were there was no diversion. There were no sideways panels. There were no um, you know trapezoids or, or circles or whatever. Mm. But in this world, once they get to the memory area and things are kind of going all over the place, we get panels inside of panels. We get ones that are on. We get ones that are shaped like shards of glass. We get ones you know panels that are um, they're the 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 tiers get smaller and smaller as the panels go from left to right and you know all of this kind of stuff it's it's a very very different visual cue to let us know that we're in an area of the mind that is not as grounded it's not as solid yeah the the drawback of that is that it's almost you you tend to uh, look at the story and not read it ah yeah you know because it's so visually uh different i mean I, I was more looking at really looking at the details and so on. And uh, I love this one panel when they enter the dome of uh, of Professor Xavier with two type of coloring and two, which is, where his head is almost split into four parts and so on. Right. Yep. But um, you may lose some of the details of, and the explanation of what is happening and why uh, David is uh, who he is and in the situation he is, because there's a lot of explanation which is given there. For instance, there's this connection uh, with, once again, the X-Men issue when uh, X-Men uh, 161 uh, with the character of uh, David's godfather, uh, Daniel Shamron, who dies in the terrorist attack. Uh, and he was one of the characters that we met during. So th there is a, a very interesting continuation between uh, what we saw in X-Men and so on. So very comic booky stuff. And at the same time, we have this 
visual display of amazing art, which makes you lose a bit of the story or make me... I had to read the story like three, two or three times in order to get it completely. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that being a drawback for sure. Uh, you, it, it always is more, more work to read unconventional panel layouts and such. Um, and that, yeah, the visuals do become distracting. And I think that uh, once you get so much dialogue like Chris Claremont likes to place in mm. his panels anyway, you tend... I don't know, a lot of people I think will tend to go into skim mode and <laughs> skim over things mm. but you absolutely can't hear because this is that yeah you're right that's where all of the important information is okay one more scene with magneto and lee forrester uh yeah. i told you to pay close attention to that last one where lee saves magneto's life and like they're in a good place and in this one i don't understand like she has a complete 180 change of mm. of opinion here now almost like i feel like we missed one of these these little interlude scenes where they have some sort of a falling out or something yeah it's weird it's just so different and then in the next issue when we see them again they're back to the way they were before it's just out of place and i didn't understand mm. this one yeah it's um but it's also about magneto becoming more and more human and saying something like i beg you i need you so it was and also it ties with magneto's hatred for humans and the fact that he's obviously falling in love with the human and making efforts and being more and more open and uh, it's it ties with what we i think that what Clermont wants to to showcase of the character but yes it's it feels like we missed something yeah i i think we did Okay, a couple more notes because this is the final issue of the story. I just want to wrap up a few things here. Doug yeah. Doug Ramsey was in this story, even though we really didn't know that he was in this story. But he's here the whole time yeah, right. in the mind. The only yeah. reason this is the same as Rogue, he is used because he's, yeah. he's going to translate the Arab language of this one this one person uh, for everybody so we can actually finally get the, the end of the story. But that's literally the only reason why he's here. And he's been kind of really pushed to the corners through this whole story. And he has a new mutant costume, even yep. though it was never really clear that he had joined the team. I guess he I guess it's official. Yeah. And then we also get um, the police officer and the nurse. They're in here as well still. And I don't know why they're in here, but just because they happen to be in proximity. But they aren't. They don't really serve a purpose either. Their whole character, like we had one comment, like I don't understand why that change was made to their character, why they were made into Native mm. American people. And then what, like nothing is ever done of that. We, we find that, um, that the police officer now has like, some superhuman strength to go along with it and that serves no real purpose through this story either just seems very very random yeah yeah absolutely it's like well uh i think there's a website that was covering all the dangling subplots that and the hints that claremont had put in his book and it never really resolved because it was <laughs> yeah. juggling with so many balls yeah. you know it, it, you know it's like this thing with uh, uh you know when you think of uh the amount of time it took between the moment when we see the star jammers and there is this subplot about corsair being scott's father and the time they really meet as father and son and so on it's like i think 30 issues so really clement is juggling with so many balls that sometimes he forgets one of them yeah uh, and i think it could be one of those cases uh you know like the the, the, the ongoing things with that, that was happening in Uncanny X-Men about 
Wolverine's origin and the, the you know the third uh, Summers Brothers, even though it was after Carmont. So those were plots which were up in the air and up for grabs, really. Right. So it may have been one of those things that eventually was left on the on the side of the road. It appears that way, yeah. Carrying on to New Mutants number 29. Now we are going to get onto a new storyline. It's going to be a three-part story that will finish off this book here. This one's called Meanwhile, Back at the Mansion. Or is it Gangway? Or is it Gangway? <laughs> right. Because of what we see. <laughs> I don't know, really. No, I think it's meanwhile back at the mansion. Um, we're we're dumped into the middle of a story here, and I really feel like uh, I don't know. This was another thing: is like, did I miss an issue, or was there an annual story or something? Like, because um, yeah. Magma and Sunspot have been kidnapped, and Cannonball and Ilyana are racing through an airport to try and find them, and like they're wearing bathing suits, and it's like, what uh, what's going on? Why are they dressed the way they are, and how did they get mm. kidnapped? And <laughs> it's just uh, out of nowhere. Oh, so the kidnapping uh, ties with a, a very small subplot that we see in the previous issue, and it ties with Empath giving uh, Roberto and Magma's names to someone at the Elfire Club. Oh, okay. I I missed that. I think I think it's it's that connection. But okay, we have this very small half a page subplot. Uh, and suddenly it's done. They have been kidnapped. And, well, we are in the situation where Sam and Idianas are in their bathing suit. Right. In the middle of, of the snow. Yeah. Okay. So that um, that's right. Yeah. So I'm going back and on page 427. That is, it's just, it's half of a page. It's not even a full page. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I, I remember reading that now, but I didn't make the connection that, the, that it's tying in there. Yeah. I think there is, yeah, there, this last half of the book gives you, makes you make a lot of assumptions about what's going on. I think a lot of the mm. time, that's uh, something that I think Claremont needed to hope to work on a little bit. But anyway, so the, yeah, the, the two of them are trying to find, uh, trying to find their missing teammates. And I guess because this is happening while the rest of the team is in Scotland, they have no one else to turn to. So they go to find Leela Chenny to see if they will help them out. And who is there as well uh, is. Is this the first appearance of Strong Guy? Yes. Uh, he is just a bodyguard. We don't even get his name mm. or anything like that. He is just here, but he will become a major player in 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 a, not too long from now. Actually, just a few years, he'll be a member mm. of the X Men and a member of X Factor. And then we also meet up with Dazzler, who has joined her, who's joined Leela Cheney's band. And uh, the, this team will teleport to somewhere in order to find Roberto and and, and Amara, who have been uh, caught in this gladiator arena. So the at, way back at the beginning, when we were talking about the very first epic collection, my least favorite story of that mm. collection was the Gladiator story. And mm-hmm. now we're back in the Gladiator story. And I'm like, oh, I, do we have to do this again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and especially because a lot of the context and the background of the of the story ties with that miniseries with uh, with yeah beauty and Dazzler the beast and the Be- beauty and the beast yeah which was written by Anusenti who's the editor of the book uh-huh. so the connection is there and Bill Sienkiewicz actually draws all of the covers yeah. for that miniseries and the Dazzler's yeah. uh, covers as well right yeah a lot of Dazzler's covers were drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz so there's there's this visual editorial connection uh, but if you haven't read that miniseries which is dreadful by the way. <laughs> 
it's super bad, but it's, it's, it establishes that Dazzler craves for fame and fortune after the end of a, a series and a subsequent graphic novel. So she signs up to join what she believes to be an underground music thing, uh, but is this gladi- gladiator thing. So and she joins, uh, manages to, and the, the beast is involved. I read that a long time ago. But that's the connection. And so this doesn't come out of the blue. This gladiator scene doesn't come out of the blue. But if you haven't read this miniseries, it's completely random. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's no more random than than anything else that we've seen in this book. It's just, uh, you just get taken from adventure to adventure. And it's, Mm. uh, but this one I just wasn't on board with just because of the past association with the early issues. Uh, And Mm. then to top it all off, we get thrown into the middle of a Secret Wars 2 subplot and mm. ah, so everything with the Magneto story has kind of led up to this point. Mm. Charles has reached out to Magneto saying I need you to lead the X-Men. I gotta go take care of this Beyonder issue. And so Magneto shows up at the end of this at the end of this issue and uh, is here to save the day. And Only doesn't really save the day. It just takes some of the new mutants with him to go to that Beyonder thing. And uh the others are left behind, and uh, and the arena and the gladiator uh, aspect uh, is untouched by that. Yeah, so th- and this is why I feel like again I'm missing something by not reading the full story. So I, between these issues, you really do have to go and read Secret Wars two issue one, which is not mm-hmm. included in this collection because actually a lot happens there, and there is such a drastic jump between these two issues with very little explanation, and uh, it, it just was it's jarring. Some weird things in this issue include uh, the fact that when they meet up with Leela Chenny, they're in their bathing suits, but Cannonball gets a change of clothes, but Magic doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't get given any other clothes. And then also we meet up with this guy, Axe, who is left over from the old, from the early issues of New Mutants, from that other gladiator story. He's found another gladiator ring. So it's like they're trying to make it almost exactly the same as, as those old issues. I mean, Amara is... Is the the main kind of the main character in this plot that is actually kind of more like a subplot, mm. and um, but it just the axe appears in this one issue and then we don't really see him again through this story. Yeah, it's yeah. just not well not well paced, not well thought out. I don't know. Didn't enjoy it. There is one thing because I know what's the situation with the villain in the story that we find out. We we find out who the villain is in the third story in the third uh, issue. Yeah. And I know, it's not explained, but I know what is the deal with that villain, because I know what happens in the following stories. Right, I don't. But there are, yeah, but there are hints of what is the situation from the page when uh, Sam and uh, and the rest of the, uh, and Lila and uh, Eliana and so on enter the room. So there are hints here when you know uh, the situation, you find out, you find one of the hints is there. Oh, okay. On the last panel. Oh. I can tell you offline what is the situation. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
but once again, you, you need to have a, a, a deep uh, background knowledge of the, the, the X-Men and all that to, to figure it out. Um, I'm also, I also think that the art takes a little bit of a step back. Uh, not that mm. it's bad, but it just is more reserved. Because we just came off mm. of three issues of a lot of really experimental ideas and art. And that, that was because we had a story that was taking place in a different dimension. But this one, we're kind of back to, back to normal. And so... Mm. I, um, you, you know, while I appreciate kind of going back to normal a little bit, I also was hoping that we'd keep up some of the, the more experimental aspects of his artwork, which I don't really yeah. see. In fact, this I, this almost takes me back to, to the Moon Knight days in a lot of sense. Yes, yes. It's, more, it's much more classic yeah. uh, than what we've seen in the, in the previous issues. Uh, even though part of the, the, the Cloak and Dagger story was more, uh, classic than the demon bear and the legion story uh, and that may be also because we can see them as the weakest because it's more wordy less experimental yeah um so yeah mm. uh, th that explains a lot i think yeah maybe uh, uh, bill Kivix was more was less inspired by the by the plot on these stories it <laughs> <That> could be <laughs> yeah so issue 30 the singer and her song so it ties with a lot of uh, what was happening in Secret Wars 1. So, well, you have to read it, but it's the moment when the Beyonder from Secret Wars 1 arrives on Earth uh, and start discovering, taking human shape and so on. Um, and so the team which is gathered here at the beginning of this issue, uh, what is the team that was uh, on Secret Wars 1? So once again, it's not really a New Mutants uh, team uh, because we get Kitty Pride, we get Cannonball, we get Dazzler uh, with a New Mutant X uh, costume, and we get Rachel Summers uh, and Iliana, uh, who has been turned into her dark child uh, persona uh, by the Beyonder, which is something that uh, is a shock for for the for the members of the team. So it's the first time she, she, maybe they they completely understand the full nature of Iliana's power. The episode starts with uh, this clunky team being uh, in limbo uh, and getting into a fight because uh, Iliana seems to be possessed uh, maybe by the Beyonders. It's not very clear for me what is really going on here. But eventually they get together and they come back uh, in Los Angeles. Once again, convenient plot device one week after the, the, yeah. the moment when they teleported and Lila has left the picture but they take her car uh, and get back to the, the arena and the idea is to try and infiltrate the arena and it would be Dazzler because she was there before and Kitty who will be a kind of fixing uh, person on the on the arena who will try to to infiltrate and reconnect with uh, Amara and uh, and Sunspots, and uh, we have the the, the Beyonder uh, lurking around and being in the scene as well. So it's really much of a tying uh, aspect, and eventually the plan backfires because Dazzler gets possessed by a very large creature who appears to be the mastermind of the, the, the arena and uh, Kitty also gets uh, abducted and inserted into a giant robot that attacks Amara and, Spot and Sunspot at the end of the issue. That's so weird. Man, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Like, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, I said man, that was weird. Yeah. Oh boy, so weird. Uh, yeah. So, I don't even know why you mentioned uh, that they they do a little time jump by a week. Mm. Don't know why. Just yeah. it's just it, they just say it. it. Doesn't really serve a purpose. Um. So mm. the very first the very first part of this issue is basically Claremont saying, "Oh man, uh, I had to tie into Secret Wars, and mm. they put me in this spot. So I'm going to spend the first couple of pages just driving back to where we were before." Exactly. <laughs> so it's like if you take out these couple of pages with the, the the secret wars stuff you could just carry on as normal except now we have mm. rachel and Shadowcat here so i guess we have to explain how they got there yeah but it's like well it doesn't the, have the any thing is that, yeah uh, because secret wars 2 was very much shoehorned into every uh marvel publication then by jim shooter who was writing the book uh, so it was an edit uh, editorial mandate, yep. which led to a lot of issues uh, in other books. Uh, I remember very well the Spider-Man stuff, the Avengers uh, and the FF dealing with that in the middle of existing plot lines. So it was sometimes it worked very well. There's a wonderful Fantastic Four story with the Torch and the Beyonder, for instance, which is one of the highlights of John Burns' run. Uh, and some of the stuff is very shoehorned and forced and doesn't work, like here, for instance. Which is a shame because Secret Wars 1 was so well thought out with all of the heroes disappearing and then reappearing right away, having been changed. Like they had thought out what those changes would be, the black costume, you know, things staying behind on Battle World and, and all of this. And, and, and then dealing with the repercussions in those issues in each of those titles. But this mm. one, yeah, you're right. It's shoehorned to the point where Claremont's like, I just got to ignore all of that to get back to my story that I started last issue. No yeah, yeah, well, you know that most of the, 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 the repercussions of Secret Wars 1 were dismissed very quickly because for, for uh, the example of the black costume, uh, Tom DeFalco, who was writing Spider-Man, said in interviews that uh, he said, OK, we take the costume, but we ditch it after 12 issues yeah. max. Uh, Iron Man, he had this extra padding and stuff uh, on the armor that he ditched literally, physically, the issue right when he gets back from Secret Wars. The, the major point, the major impact for me was She-Hulk joining the, the Fantastic Four. Right. Yeah. That has that was a very important thing back then. But yeah, that's one of those examples of things being shoehorned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in this issue, I did really feel lost having not read the Beauty and the Beast storyline to the point where it's like, you know, Dazzler gets saved by this pterodactyl creature and mm. like they have a back history, apparently. She yeah. calls him by name, but I'm like, we've never seen this guy before. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, obviously, there's a big story here that we don't get we don't get in behind the scenes. But but I mean, this is a turning point for Dazzler, who mm. who since she was dealing Dealing with all of this stuff about her her desire for fame through the last few uh, t her appearances and the back the end of Dazzler and the miniseries and such she's now come to the point where she is now she's assured of herself she she has faced her you know not fears she's just faced
face her insecurities and has become a more sure person. So she's going to be um, kind of a, she's going to play a big role in the next issue as the new mutants face off against Kitty Pride in the body of a giant robot. <laughs> yeah. Positive thing about this issue is that as there's a, it's a weirder issue with the, the, the limbo scenes and uh, some of the, the, the display of Dazzler power, I think it's less of a classic looking issue. And it's a visually, uh, because we are also the Beyonder scene when Rachel tries to enter into the Beyonder's mind. Yep. I think there's a, it's visually more interesting uh, and more adventurous yes. issue than the previous one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that one panel at near the beginning where they're in limbo and they're like all distorted and kind of twirling around. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. 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 And there are a few weird things as well. Like on page 476, when um, Cannonball and Magic are having a conversation under a tree, mm. Cannonball's forehead is like massive. It's He's got mm. this huge, huge head. And it's, it's these kind of liberties that Bill Sienkiewicz takes that, you know, he doesn't always draw Sam with that huge head, but he did there and it kind of stands out. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Okay, let's keep on going to the last issue, New Mutants number 31. This is the last issue of this book, the last issue of our episode. It's called Saturday Night Fight. So here we are. Roberto and Amara are in the Gladiator still, which I don't exactly know why, like how they're being forced to stay there. I guess they have inhibitors or something that, that are making their powers Dark not drug. as powerful, but they still have their... Inhibitors and drugs. They still have their powers, Both. though. Yeah, but they have inhibitors, so they don't escape, and they are drugged so that they are... Kind of in a, that's sort of explained uh, uh, in the previous issue. I just feel like it's yeah. it's this whole story is kind of shoehorned to make it work. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and there sure. there are so many elements here that are you have to just like really really stretch your believability to like why on earth is this is this story going on for so long? Because our heroes were there um, a few times and should have just taken care of business, but instead, you know, all of this is building actually to find out who's in charge. That's mm. the whole reason for this story is to bring a character back into play and. And we don't exactly know why she's coming back into play. We shot, we, we thought she was dead, mm-hmm. but through the fight, uh, they free or Kitty frees herself actually uh, from this giant robot, and they try to escape this place, but then find out that the person in charge is their former teammate Karma, who is now very, very obese, and I guess in charge of this gladiatorial ring. We don't really get an explanation about all of this. She just says, uh, "You got to ask Professor Professor X. He knows why what's going on here." and that's about it. So it's a bizarre issue. It mm. doesn't, you know, a lot of it is filler with this giant robot. And that takes up half of the issue is fighting the, the robot with Kitty inside. And then, then yeah, we meet Karma. And it's a very different person than, she, than, than we thought she was. And then she disappears. And so we're left with the team thinking, okay, we got to go on a journey to go find Karma. And mm. this is only half of the team. So the other t- half of the team, which is Douglas, Rain, Danny, and Warlock, they don't like Warlock and Douglas haven't even met Karma so but mm. they don't know that they're around so I guess in the next issue we're gonna find out we're gonna get the team all back together again which will be nice because they haven't been a full team since the Demon Bear saga mm-hmm. and I think it makes sense what you said that the, the two stories may appear may take place in parallel yep. sort of because the, the it's completely different uh, lineup 
yeah. on each story. So yeah, could be could be something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they're happening at the same time. Uh, well, not exactly the same time because at the very end of the Legion story, that's when Professor X says the Beyonder is coming, and then at this, yeah. at the beginning right. of this one, is when the Beyonder is coming. So they're not happening at the same time. They're happening one after the other, but they are focusing on the team that didn't go to Scotland. Mm, yeah, true. Um, I think this story is yeah, it, it's it's weaker than the others, but I think that there is a, re a really nice interest around uh, the issue of fame and fortune, and uh, and it's very much centered around Daisler who really needed to become a more uh, interesting character. Uh, and she would join the X-Men not so long after that and become a completely different character once again, even though she still has this uh, thing with uh, with fame and uh, being recognized and, uh, and so on. So that's very much her story arc, once again, rather than the New Mutants story arc. There's a couple of times when they they make the parallel of uh, fame to heroin, yeah. and like she's addicted to fame, like a heroin addict is addicted to the, that drug. And I mm. think that you know they didn't want to go in that direction, but this is a lot of the reason why you'll find that you know rock stars or famous people mm. are drug addicted is because they uh, they get a high from from just the the being famous, like it, it releases certain endorphins or whatever to make to to give you more adrenaline when you're on stage and all this kind of stuff and and then you come crashing down afterwards and then dealing with the constant stress and anxiety of people interviews and the the general public and always having to be on and be in a certain place like people do turn to other substances to help either heighten or or lessen a lot of these emotions and end up in a pretty bad place and i think they probably didn't want to go that way um all the way down that road with dazzler just because of the comic code or whatever but um mm -hmm. i think that they're trying to allude to the fact that she is definitely having some addiction problems mm -hmm. uh, without actually making it about drugs. Well, had it been in the in the 2000s or later in the 90s and so on, it could have been a much darker story. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, that's hinted because the, the, they mentioned the fact that the, 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 the gladiators are drugged. Uh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, the, the, there's one moment when Dazzler comes back and she takes one of the drugs and she said she took a massive dose and she will not want to go back and stuff like that so it's hinted once again very lightly because of the comics code yep. even though i don't know how much of those issues were code approved because of the visuals and stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's different. I mean, I think the mm. comic code from the very beginning, as we know from those the, that Stanley Norman or ha yeah Harry Osborn story that didn't have the code, that they're very very sensitive about issues relating to real world drugs. Mm -hmm. And and so yeah, I think getting because art is subjective, it's not like it's a it's a different thing when trying to pass those kind of visuals like horror. I mean, it wasn't gruesome or gory, so mm. that they didn't need to worry about that with the comic code but it's different than dealing with um the societal issues like drug addiction mm, sure and uh so that means that this volume really contains the whole bunch of bill sinkiewicz stuff uh it will keep on board it would stay on board uh, as an inker so the, the book will still have its touch uh, for a few issues but if you want to have the whole 
uh, be a scientific thing on new mutants. That's the book you need. It's amazing that he actually had a very fairly short run. It wasn't that long at, mm. at all, but mm. it made such a splash, and it's very highly remembered. Well, I guess maybe maybe only the Demon Bear Saga uh, as some of the New Mutants' best stuff, even though it's just mm -hmm. such a short short period in the in the larger picture. And uh, so that's why we have this this thanks thing under uh, Bill Sinkiewicz signature uh, on the last splash page right uh, which is even i think it's also something that wants to highlight the whole team and uh, and is a nice way to say goodbye it is it's an odd picture and i don't know i think like it because half of the team is kind of in an astral form and and they don't mm. get a they don't get as much detail and all of their characters are in either their gladiator form or their swimsuits or whatever it's like mm. wow this is the, the last image that we're gonna get from bill of his team <laughs> kind yeah, of strange. yeah true yeah but yeah um and then there's also the issue of just why did chris claremont decide or was this a bill sinkevich idea i don't even know why karma is so incredibly huge and this comes into so, yeah sorry go ahead so that is what you will find out in the next epic collection. Right. oh i'm sure <laughs> It's strange that he makes this decision and then this compounded with the two people who turn into Native Americans. It's like, why are we taking mm. able-bodied white people, or in Shan's case, she's not white, but why are we taking an mm. able-bodied person and putting it in a not able-bodied person body? And why are we taking white people and putting them in not white people bodies? It's in order to upset their lives and to make them... It, it feels like it's we're, we're saying that they are now in lesser bodies than they were before, which I don't think is a very good messaging at all. There's a, there's a very clear difference between the two situations uh, because I, I had to dig and find out what was the deal with uh, with Shan, and it's a completely different story than uh, than, than the Native American thing. Okay, well, I mean, at, at... no spoilers there. Yeah, no spoilers. Uh, yeah, I mean, dealing with that down the road, you can come up with the reasons as well. Mm -hmm. But I mean, taking it on, oh, yeah. I guess, on surface value based on what I'm reading in this book, it's kind of weird, a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Well, there we are. We have finished the second New Mutants epic collection, the Demon Bear Saga. Uh, the first, I, of course, obviously the real standout story is the Demon Bear Saga itself with a follow-up mm. worthy follow-up being the Legion story in the second half of the book. Uh, how, what are your thoughts, Frank, overall? Oh, exactly the same. Well, it, it was a... It was a harder to read collection than I thought it would be. Yeah. But it definitely feels, looks great. And sometimes, you, as I said, you may feel like looking at the page rather than reading its content. Well, eventually it completely deserves its classic following and status that it has gained. Uh, and we have to keep in mind that a it's the early issue, uh, early eighties we're talking here, so yeah. it's groundbreaking stuff, uh, yeah, sure. visually speaking. Uh, and even it still is today. I mean, you don't really see that many comic books like that on a mainstream uh, book. I mean, in indie stuff, yes, obviously. Uh, but here it's mainstream mutants, so some of the top-selling books we're talking about, and we get some very, very strange-looking stuff and very, 
well, the, the word doesn't come, but it's very forward-looking and uh, abstract art kind of thing yeah. uh, that you get there. I'm glad they took the risk because I'm sure it was a mm. risk. I'm sure it was because Bill Sienkiewicz, even he says it in what, some of the bonus features in the back that his work is very divisive. If people, Some people love it, some people hate it. And mm. to be put as a regular penciler on a book, I don't know how well The New Mutants was doing at the time, if it was a high-selling book or if it was just moderate, but uh, just the fact that you're putting a controversial artist on the title uh, could could be potentially really damaging. But I think because they started it off with the Demon Bear Saga story, it worked to the benefit. Could you imagine if they had started with the Cloak and Dagger story? Mm, or the Gladiator story. Or the Gladiator story, yeah. It would have been a very, very different reaction, I think, to Bill Sienkiewicz's work. I wish, uh, sometimes I really wish that the, the Epic Collection had uh, the original letter pages. Uh, in this case, right, I wish yeah. I could read them. Well, because I mean, the reaction must have been polarized. I'm sure. It's hard to tell also because, of course, those letters are also filtered through editorial to get just yeah, the but, ones that they want to show. Mm, yeah, but um, I, I remember seeing on other books some very different point of views. So, yeah, it could have been one of those cases. And I, I'm pretty sure they must have had as much negative letters as positive ones so they should have reflected that back oh, in the I'm days sure. but yeah they always do put in uh the the counter side for sure and mm. marvel was as ne- i don't know about dc but marvel's never afraid to to print a letter that that is angry at them for doing something mm. but what mm. we don't know is the balance of how many angry letters versus good letters like if they got a hundred bad letters and two good letters and they printed mm. the two good letters and put one bad letter it would make it seem like the, there was more positive than negative yeah for sure. Well, you know what? I think uh, way back when we did an episode uh, about the New Mutants, Epic Collection Volume 7, Curse of the Valkyrie, and we did the last half of that, and we actually started mm-hmm. recording the first half of it, but never got around to finishing that. So mm-hmm. why don't we just uh, skip ahead a little bit, finish off the rest of that Epic Collection, Curse of the Valkyrie, and then uh, and then we'll move on in the podcast. We'll move on to a different title completely. Yeah, yeah. Good idea to tie things up on this one. Yeah. Yeah, The New Mutants hasn't released yet volume three or four. Uh, mm-hmm. We have volume five and we have volume eight. So there's plenty of stuff th- that, we, that we could still do with The New Mutants. But I think that after this, we'll give it a break and come back to New Mutants uh, sometime in the future, hopefully when we get volume three and four, because I would like to mm-hmm. continue on with the story from the beginning here. All right. Well, listeners, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, join my Epic Collection gr- Facebook group if you search for epic collections uh, and otherwise oh yeah and my youtube channel but i want to thank you frank for joining me i know that uh, you being in france and me being in canada we have to work on our uh, time zone difference so i appreciate you uh, working with me to to make this work and for being a part of these episodes it's always a blast so i had a great time great we'll see everybody next week for one more new mutants episode see you later take care bye-bye